One of my first classes in seminary was Old Testament 101. Many of our other classes in the first week began with story sharing, you know, getting to know your professors and classmates, but not Dr. Merrill. He walked into the classroom, placed his thick binder of lecture notes on the podium and said, let us bow our heads in prayer. From this first interaction, we knew he was serious about his task of preparing pastors to preach from Holy Scripture. No other professor had begun class with prayer. After his amen, he opened his binder and said, and now we begin at the beginning. We all waited to hear his deep and melodious voice, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Dr. Merrill had a wonderful voice, but instead he said, a wandering Aramean was my father. We looked at each other with confusion. He had started in the 26th chapter of the fifth book, Deuteronomy, and I wanted to tell him that's not the first book in the Bible, but he probably knew that. In fact, we didn't reach Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 until the next semester in, one, in Old Testament 102. The phrase, a wandering Aramean, dates back 2,000 years before the Common Era, and according to some scholars, is one of the oldest phrases given human breath. Remarkably, it is found in fragments of some of the earliest writings ever found, dating back 1800 years BCE, making it literally, or at least close to it, the first thing ever written that is in the Bible. Genesis wasn't written down for an, another thousand years after that. So a wandering Aramean was my father was a key phrase that shaped a people around a common narrative. But first, the word wandering Sounds kind of quaint. We may imagine wandering as strolling through cobblestone streets of an old European city or, and popping in and out of antique stores. Who is a wanderer? Maybe a, <clears throat> excuse me, a traveler full of dreams written in a journal while sipping coffee. <clears throat> but the Hebrew word for wandering is actually closer to one who is destitute, desperate. The common English Bible makes this clear. My father was a starving Aramean. To hear that line was to know the story to follow tells us who we are. Our origin story is Deuteronomy 26, verse 5. Our father was a starving Aramean who went down to Egypt living there as an immigrant with few family members. But that is where he became a great nation, mighty and numerous. But the Egyptians treated us terribly, oppressing us and forcing hard labor on us. So we cried out for help to the Lord, our ancestors' God. The Lord heard our call. God saw our misery, our trouble, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with awesome power, with signs and wonders, and brought us to this place and gave us this land a land full of milk and honey. And then the story continues. So now I am bringing the early produce of the fertile ground to you, O Lord, that you have given me. This story leads us into instructions about tithing. Can you believe it? The oldest writing in the Bible leads us to what we call stewardship. It's about responding to what God has done in our lives but specifically demonstrated through ties that, quote, support immigrants, widows, orphans, and Levites.
meaning the ones who served as priests. So get this, the earliest form of tithes tied to one of the oldest stories includes making sure immigrants can eat in your cities until they are full. The Bible says so literally in Deuteronomy 26.12, not to be flown to another city and dumped at the door of a church, but I've gotten off track. It's an invitation to stewardship that also expresses yearning for liberation. The oldest story in the Bible is not only about us, but about our God, who frees people from suffering the cruel treatment and forced labor, and also a promise that one day people would live in a land flowing with milk and honey. And, in fact, reflecting back now, they were. In our country, it took a civil war waged for the soul of our nation that killed more than 600,000 soldiers and even more citizens to end the enslavement of people. Unfortunately, this is not only the oldest story in the Bible, but one continually repeated. How could anyone think God would approve of enslaving or being enslaved? Despite this clarity, yet Lincoln, President Lincoln said, My concern is not whether God is on our side. My concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. <laughs> Which side seems clear? I mean, just use the words of Scripture and replace Egyptians with slave owners. Slave owners treated us terribly, oppressing us and forcing hard labor on us. So we cried out to the Lord, our ancestors, God. The Lord heard our call. God saw our misery, our trouble, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with awesome power, with signs and wonders, and brought us to this place and gave us this land. A land full of milk and honey. Except the story in America didn't end this way. Yet, no milk and honey, no 40 acres and a mule. Compensation was given to those who dared offend God by claiming the right to own people as property to do with whatever they wished. They were paid for their, quote, loss of labor. But those who were forced to labor were only given new ways to be enslaved, lynched, segregated, and brutalized. That is, those who were even informed of their freedom from bondage. Out in the hinterlands, in places like Texas, people continued to defy God's design for human freedom. They knew of the Emancipation Proclamation. They knew the Confederacy had been brought down in humiliating defeat. They lost and surrendered, but they kept it a secret as long as they thought they could get away with it. Enter Juneteenth and General Granger's now famous order number three. I told the story last year about June, Juneteenth that General Granger had not been given the task of going around sharing the news of emancipation. He and his company were on their way to secure the Mexican border from the invading army of Napoleon. The French were establishing colonies in Mexico, so the southern border had to be secured from the French. It was while they were on their way for that assignment that a terrible storm hit bad enough to cause their ships to seek shelter. The storm forced the transport ships to anchor in Galveston Bay on June 18, 1865, 
And the next day they went ashore and discovered thousands of people still enslaved, working in the ports and houses and fields. And so order number three was written. But what if there had been no storm? When would word of emancipation, <clears throat> freedom, reach Texas? You know how storms are called sometimes acts of God? I've never liked that. But at least in this case, I'm glad for such an act of God storm. You know how God's strong hand and outstretched arm with awesome power, with signs and wonders that forced a ship to find shelter on the shore of Galveston Bay? The Lord heard our call. God saw our misery, our trouble, and our oppression, and the Lord brought us out. Juneteenth may be a new federal holiday, but it's an enactment of one of the oldest stories in the Bible. This story makes me think that sometimes we need to thank God for the storms that pass through our lives. Sometimes we need to thank God for storms that take us off track, never knowing where we might be led or what we might be called to do, never knowing who is waiting for us. Or where is the gift in this storm? This summer, we will follow the grand sweep of stories that shape who we are in the Judeo-Christian tradition, starting with the call of Abram and Sarai to pick up and move by stages to a land which would be revealed. That was last week's reading from the lectionary. Today, Sarah laughed at the absurdity that she, a 90-year-old woman without any children, and her 100-year-old husband would one day have so many descendants it would be just as easy to count sand on a beach than all the generations that follow. Just look, though, count all the adherents of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Billions on the earth, just counting today. And you will see it was no laughing matter. And next week, Hagar, then Rebecca, the fighting twins of Jacob and Esau, sisters Leah and Rachel, Jacob wrestling in the night, Joseph sold by his 12 brothers, well, actually 10, slavery in Egypt, Moses and the freedom and complaining in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments and golden calves, and finally, the Promised Land. This is our story, for we are all descendants of a certain wandering Aramean. We are all part of a biblical narrative that calls forth freedom and liberation, whether our own or as participants with God. Just like Juneteenth is all our story, the story of our nation yet called to live more perfectly into freedom for all of us, by each of us taking a stand today for the equality of all races, not the supremacy of one, the equality of all sexes, including to preach, not the superiority of one, the equality of all sexual orientations and gender identities, not the privileging of one, and the equality of religious expression, not legislating one over another. And then we shall all be free. <laughs>